And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into another Hold That Podcast podcast. I am your host, T-Bob Bear, joined by my boy, joined boy, my co-host, Mr. Brody Miller, who actually writes for The Athletic. Brody, what's up, dude? Not too much, man. Spring football is over. I'm about to go cover the Zurich Open. or Zur- Yeah, Zurich Classic, sorry. Oh, uh, TGC, somebody to get my golf in today. Well, I'm not playing, but life is good right now. How are you, man? Yeah, uh, you might want to know the correct title of the event. I know, you're brutal. Covering. Yeah. <laughs> brutal start there. Uh, it's good not to brag. I took like a golf lesson last week. So, Wait, you this know, is huge. Basically, details. Uh, I am a golfer now. Uh, the details are is that I've got a lot of work. Uh, to do well, i don't know if I'm actually yeah but you should have known that going in right yeah no no i'm not no i mean look I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not surprised i actually learned a ton it was a lot of fun i don't think i am gonna get into golf we'll see we'll see oh you giving up that quick yeah I, I mean i had a lot of fun at top golf the other day uh but uh, also but i don't know I, I i just don't think it's gonna happen with me but uh you never know i did i did <sighs> go and manage to procure my father's old uh golf clubs from the 1980s so everything is circular, you know, and fashions come back. So when you see me rocking the irons from 1985 with that beautiful white old leather ping bag. Ooh. Yeah. Don't be jealous. And I think it's like wine where the clubs got better with time. And yes. actually they're like better than the new stuff. Now, I think I read that. I there know. is no doubt that it's uh, the far superior product in whatever newfangled technology the golf heads have out there now. Uh, but we did not welcome you into this podcast to just talk about my fledgling golf career. Um, we welcome you in to talk about the LSU spring game. That's right. Uh, although it is not a game or arguably maybe not e- even as important as some of these spring practices, um, we finally got to get eyes on a game and like an actual game situation. I mean, it felt like football season when I sat down Sunday night and watched this thing for three hours. So, uh, we will break it down today. We'll break down quarterbacks. We'll break down other things that stood out to us. Um, I'll probably preface it with saying that it is a spring game. So like, I I said this on the show the other day, uh, the takes that you will hear are by no means final takes. These are more like, uh, you know, I've plowed the field and we're going to plant some takes today. Some will die on the vine. Some will end up growing to fruition, uh, but we'll see where they end up going. Basically, everything we're 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 still seeing a a relatively limited window in what we saw the other day, just because both sides of the ball are so based during the spring game to not give anything away. There's some quotes after the game that kind of reinforce that from. Kayshawn Butte and TJ Finley and stuff. But uh, yeah, let's go ahead and dive into it. Brody, I want to start with quarterbacks. Um, I've talked about it so much on just my radio programs, though. Uh, I would love it if you could uh, if you could kick us off with what your big takeaways from spring were. By the way, I'm so happy you did that preface so I didn't have to because yeah. I'm the guy who just who Thursday wrote like a curmudgeonly pre-spring game column that basically said, 
don't take this seriously. Stop overreacting to it. So thanks for doing that for me. But uh, I'm yeah, I think the main thing with the quarterbacks is you have to start. Okay, well, I'll say it this way. I think leaving the spring game, and it's not that we're taking this from the spring game. We're taking it from everything we've heard from this entire month. I think you are as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. But spring game kind of confirmed that in reality, this is a two-man competition, right, at the quarterback battle. It is going to be, I think, in reality, it's going to come down to Miles Brennan and Max Johnson. Do you disagree? Uh, no, I, I think I think that is more likely than not. I mean, TJ had the two big mistakes there were kind of some whispers that maybe Max and Miles were separating itself to begin with in practices. Uh, it's not to say that TJ can't, of course, you not. know, yeah. make some stuff happen during like summer, just come out and kill fall camp. That door is still open. But yeah, if we're just talking about odds, it feels like a two man race. Okay, good. So we agree on that. So then you, and then, and yeah, we can discuss Finley and Usmeyer in, in a little at more length. I mean, I think Usmeyer, like, was pretty much everything you thought an early enrollee stud's going to be in the way that he made some plays that you're like, holy crap, this dude is going to be the goods at LSU for a long time. But also, he threw three pretty reckless interceptions. He just looked like a freshman. That is a good thing in some ways. You know, like, that's that's healthy. So, anyway, I don't think it's going to be Nussmeyer Finley, personally. And it really comes down to Max Johnson and, and, and Miles Brennan. And I think it's funny. I think you look at the first half, you would have left that first half thinking Miles Brennan is the dude, right? He just looked yeah. sharp. He looked in command. I think even more than that, he looked like he just looked more in charge than he even looked last year, you know, in, in real games where, you know, he's yelling to the sideline to the coaches to let him go hurry up. He's like having fun on the on the field, yeah. like dancing and doing like he just looked like a different dude. And I think last year was like he was still getting comfortable learning how to be the guy. And I think it, it looked like a guy who was ready to be that. And he just looked good. He made great throws. I think he was 11 to 15, looked sharp. Yeah. I would have left that half. And Max Johnson, he didn't look bad or anything. The offense just didn't really flow that first half. Max and Johnson that, early on, to me, was trying too hard to find the big play. Ooh, okay. And he wasn't really... It, 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 he 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 did this in the second half. He became more willing to accept that underneath stuff. Build drives over time. It looked like maybe early on he was just pushing a little too much. I think I think there's a good chance you're right about that. And then that second half, and I know we're gonna break down both in a second, but Max Johnson, by the way, playing with the second team, which should not be I mean, that's that's relevant. How do you take that though? Because there's like so many different ways that you can interpret. You could say that. he's playing the second team defense, you mean? Yeah, yeah. You could yeah. say he's playing the second team defense. You could say, well, or he's just like, yeah, he's so competitive that even though that was his time in the second team, he he still managed to find success when nobody really had success with the twos. Like it's just it's a good question because nobody think, else did. So he deserves some sort of credit exactly. there. It's not like other people when they went against the second team did good. But then I think again, that's like the key point. John Nobody Trey Kirkland, really yeah. It, but then John Trey Kirkland because the second offensive line has problems. But like then Thank John you. Trey Kirkland, um, you know, dominating Derek Davis. Like so, it's 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 kind of odd exactly how to judge him doing so well with the twos. Yeah, I don't think it should be like a a holy crap game changing factor. But I think it. I give more credit. I, okay. I see exactly what you're saying, and it's a very very good question. But for example, the second team D line is infinitely better than the second team o-line yes. right or yes. or you're right that kirkland kind of had like a disadvantage on some of these guys but even kirkland he's still probably the fourth or fifth receiver it's not like it was like unfair or something so yeah I, I, but I, I think it was more impressive in a way but the, the overall point is even the competition level 
he pitched. I, I put him like it was like a perfect game that third quarter. Seven of seven, I think 120 yards. Is that right? Two touchdowns yeah. and more and more than that, which you alluded to a second ago. He just looked like he, it looked like the version of the guy who was a true freshman, looked like a fifth year senior going against Florida and Ole Miss, right? Where he just knew how to manage a game, hit the right guy, set up the deep ball downfield, make the right decision in like a fraction of a second, like that second touchdown where he knew it immediately. And the most impressive, honestly, I know it's going to sound stupid, the most impressive throw of all four quarters between four quarterbacks was that that corner out. Yeah, that like crossing route fade to John Trey Kirkland. That yeah. was only like 20 yards. It was midfield, but it was just like placed gorgeously over pretty tight coverage. And it was like that ball was placed in a, at a burrow level with the right amount of touch and things like that. And it's like, okay, I left in the deep ball touchdown was actually his least impressive throw. That was more of a Kirkland thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah, but either way, I left that being like, okay, this is a real competition. And we're going to get more to what we're really hearing behind the scenes in a second. But this looks like a real battle. And I think you could be go to sleep at night pretty happy with either of these two guys being your SEC starter. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, a lot of people came out of this like Max Johnson, clearly QB1, which I, which didn't, I didn't see it that like, way. No. I didn't get that at all. Uh, to me, it was clear that you have two good guys where you would be happy with either one and Miles Brennan and Max Johnson. I think that um, I, I think that, look, a lot of it is like kind of the song remains the same on some of these cats. Like Max Johnson has the intangibles on lock. Uh, he just looks so in control there in a way that Miles did in the past. Now, Miles, like you said, I think is more comfortable now than he has ever been. But Max just has that kind of uh, that kind of self-assurance that is hard to develop at times, right? Just like a comfort. Uh, yes, and he looks completely comfortable out there. And then when he did settle in that second half and he was spreading the ball around, it looked great. Like you said, Miles had the stronger start. Um, nobody and Miles can just make some throws that we both I mean well. From just like a strength point of view, some of those darts he threw, you know, Max can't make. Yes. I mean, like you said, the deep ball that Max threw was underthrown, but John Trey kind of, you know, uh, salty vets, Derek Davis teach, you know, the, <laughs> the, the old lion teaching the young Cubs some tricks kind of gives him a little like little bump, uh, managed to get it. Whereas, uh, yeah, Miles's deep balls were on the money. I mean, there was the fake spike touchdown, of course, which was fun where. Afterwards, I, Miles did a throat slash, the bike, and the gritty all within 30 seconds of each other. Love to see that. But the, probably the most impressive throw that Miles had on the day was the other deep ball where uh, he, he looks off the safety, holding him with his yep. head. He turns and pumps in the double move, and he attacks Stingley Jr. and manages to uh, get it through. So, yeah, so Miles... right under the safety, too. That, that, that's why I say the song remains the same. Nothing revolutionary there, right? Miles, more <laughs> physical arm talent. Max, uh, probably higher on the intangible scale with a little more athleticism, obviously, but uh, they feel neck and neck to me right now. Yeah, I think if you just ask me my just personal opinion, yeah, it actually feels even. And honestly, if you're just going off my eye test and I say this with that massive qualifier up, I do not make too much of the spring game. They are not really running their offense. It's base defense. None of it's that real. But if you just ask me like pure eye test. I think my eye test would actually give the edge to Brennan, you know, like just, you know, just like my deep gut. But but I, I say that knowing that is not all this is. And that's why I'm like, this matters less than the scrimmages before. And I know it doesn't like doesn't sound like that to fans because we're watching this national TV thing and it's a bigger deal. But at least the other scrimmages that happen every previous Saturday, they're running the real offense. They're doing their real things like that's going to matter more to the staff and things like that. But yeah, if you ask me, yeah, it feels pretty even. I think there's incredible selling points to both sides. 
But now we have to pivot to the part of it that makes it a little trickier is just kind of what we're hearing right now. And I was kind of surprised, you know, I tried to reach out to as many people as I could in the last like three days just to, all right, spring's over, you know, what, what's your sense? What are you hearing? Blah, blah, blah. And I had like two or three people who, you know, normally you're kind of right about a lot of, a lot of things are like, I think it's Max's. Like, I think it's already Max's. Wow. And th- that was really surprising. And again, this is not me saying my opinion. This is not, this is just, and this is me reporting this as fact. It was just, there are some people who believe it's Max's. And obviously your old, your old co-host, Jordi Culotta, uh, friend of the show. Uh, yeah. You know, he, 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 he went on really strongly the last two days saying, he thinks it's Max and it's not close. And and I, I respect a lot of Jordy's information. Jordy normally has great information. So it, it's just interesting because that is surprising to me because I think Miles looks really good. And also, and I want to get to that the what that means for the room in a second, but it's just, hey, you're choosing the second-year freshman over the fifth-year senior. And if it's a close battle, that's just kind of a, a bold move. But at the end of the day, Ogeron just, he has to win this year. So he can't think about like quarterback room semantics or you know, no, making no. people happy. He has to win this year. So he has to pick who the best option is. And he understands that. Yeah. So whatever decision is that they make is going to be the, the, the guy that they view as being the like guy this uh, year. I mean, yeah. this is kind of I so I, I haven't done a lot of digging yet, but I, I guess I'm not so surprised to hear that because that was very similar to what we heard about Max even last offseason. Yeah. Like, that's why it was so shocking when TJ Finley got those first starts, because really Max was the guy that you had heard about. Uh, all the where they were kind of like, you know, we really like this kid a lot. And look, how they gave him the reps would certainly speak to maybe it being a, a max. Um, I mean, I know yeah. everybody then they ended up getting uh, equal reps, but it was kind of weird to see Miles basically waiting to like what, like the, the second quarter until he was able to yep. finally uh, get on the field. So that makes sense. Like I said, look, we, we we can't we can't really predict the whole picture when we just have this little bit of vanilla film to watch but um we'll see we'll see if max can can hold it down so so i guess the takeaway there would be from people that are maybe in the know if this if spring is like we said qualifying for the big race then uh max has pole position going into the fall not say he's going to win the race but he may he may be a leg up going into the fight i think that's pretty fair and and it just really leads to this really fascinating series of wrinkles, right? So let's say it's Max, right? Say let's just say play hypothetical game here. Let's say it's Max Johnson starting quarterback. Feels like you would assume it's borderline guaranteed Miles Brennan leaves, right? I mean, he's a fifth year senior. There might be a there's probably a no transfer limitation on him, and he you would assume he can go be a starter at most power five schools right now who are iffy on their quarterback situation. Am I wrong about that? Are you saying he would leave before this season starts? That's what I don't know. It's tricky because, yeah, you would imagine this battle is going through August. So it's not like he transfer and starts somewhere else like five days before the season. But it's also just like, I don't know. It's it's also like you don't want him waste. I know he technically is one more year of eligibility, but it's not like he'd want to waste, you know, his fifth year in college if he's not going to be the guy. It's just really tricky. Yeah, I think I think the ideal situation is if that did come to pass that you could have like a Jalen Hurts type of situation where he sticks around yes. for this year because he's not going to be able to go play and learn a new offense in time with a new team to be able to start. And so you stick around. I mean, you're still only one play away, obviously, right? It ended up quite literally uh, coming into play with Hurts that year with Tua when Tua goes down. So, like, you're still going to have opportunities to prove yourself, and then immediately afterwards you can transfer. And uh, and look, when you look at what Miles done, tough, avoiding though. the transfer yeah. portal and engaging in competition, 
see him maybe going that route. It would be like in, in, in keeping with what he's done in the past. But yeah, absolutely. It's tough, man. The thing is, though, if you don't want to have that battle, you got to make that decision now. If you want to play for another team come fall time. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. It's it's all kind of burrowy, a lower scale level of that. Yeah. But it's a little burrowy Ohio State. Burrow never lost that job, but it was just like a kind of have to shit or get off the pot a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we'll see. I think as far as other quarterback stuff goes, I still don't think Finley's like so far off, even though we no, spent all this time either. talking about Max and uh, and 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 Miles. Um, Obviously, just throwing two picks in that situation is going to hurt how we 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 view you. But like, there were times when he got with the ones before he threw that pick, where he was in a really nice rhythm, spreading the ball around. He looked like the Finley that looked so good when he had good protection last season. So he can still make moves as well. Um, I really loved one of his quotes from after the game. He said, "Quote: Our talent is crazy right now. I cannot wait until the fall to be able to show you guys." How much better we have grown as a unit this offseason, this spring. It's going to be a sight to see. And then you can tell Keishon Butte after the game. Uh, you, you can tell the offensive guys are probably a little salty. They felt like they lost their defense because Keishon's saying, there's more to show in 2021 for sure. Just look forward to it. That's all I'm going to say. So there's a lot still to come. Quarterback race wide open. Uh, we would tentatively put Max in the lead, then Miles, then TJ, and then Garrett. And as far as Nussmeyer goes, it is, uh, yeah. He's not ready yet. He's he does he was more ready than he should be though. I I mean that cat absolutely has some natural ability. And when you talk about like the the intangibles that we mentioned earlier, that like uh, that 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 confidence that you can't always teach. Nussmeyer definitely has that. I mean, which you could just sense. But then also like him throwing those picks and then coming back and still throwing into these tight windows and trying to make plays. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's. I, I've said this all spring, and so have you. But it's like it's fair to watch them all play and be like, Gary Nussmeyer is the most talented of these four. Yeah, that guy yeah, is definitely. just athletically is the most gifted. His arm is just. I mean, it's a Brennan esque like arm like level. You know what I mean? But he maybe even like more polished in some ways. I don't know. I don't want to go that far ahead or anything like that. But yeah, no, his arm does some special things. And yeah, you hear people. There's just a really good energy about him. Like he, I've I've heard like two or three different people in that program mention his energy. You know, like he's just like he seems like he has a certain presence that he's going to be a dude there for a long time. Which again, I know this is like so far ahead of things, but I just can't help but wonder like. I'm sorry I keep doing this, but like say it's Max Johnson is the job winning job. 
it just makes these next few years so interesting. I'm not saying it's a problem. It's not, but like, yeah, no, just, I mean, we talked about today. Like what if Max Johnson goes and balls out, but then like, what if like I, Nussmeyer starts like outplaying in practice? Like let's say yeah. Max Johnson's like second team, all sec or something like, yep, are you really going to be able to replace that guy? <laughs> like, yep. yeah, LSU's going to be into it's a, it's where Nussmeier's you want the to definition be. of he's okay with like waiting a little. I don't think he has like an ego. I, I think he's like, I got to, he came here knowing he'd be waiting a little, but Still, if you're that good, it's going to be hard to be like, I am waiting until my red shirt. You ain't, junior yes, you ain't yeah. waiting with someone who's like one year older than you. That's tough. That's, That's going to really, be tough. And then to Walker Howard comes he, in next year. Exactly. Who's take the highest rated of all of them. Why am I so high pitched? <laughs> I don't Well, it's because it's because that's a an excitement that LSU uh, fans have not had in many years where you're just you don't know what to do. Uh, it's like a meme. You're like holding all these quarterbacks. Like, what do I do with all this good quarterback play? You've never been there before. So it'll be it'll be interesting to watch that dance play out over time. We'll get our answers over time. Uh, Brody, what was something that you did not like from the spring game or that had you a bit worried? Yeah, I think I don't even think it's worth the running games. I ain't worth bringing up because it just wasn't real. You know, it was, yeah. there weren't. There's one running back really to who played. Uh, but I think the O line, and I preface this again with a very strong statement that these spring settings are always going to give, in my opinion, a slight advantage or a decent advantage to the D line sure. because it's like. D line just gets to be like, hey, we're not doing anything. This isn't like we're just attacking. While the O line's kind of like, hey, you first off, you know we're not running, so like that even changes the dynamic a little. And it's just like because they can't run, and it, so I don't, I'm not like really criticizing the O line. But yes, if I had to lead with something, I think it would be the O line getting beat a good amount by is, a really good D line. See, go so on. that is a little interesting to me because that's actually my biggest positive takeaway. Wow. Was the I'm not saying line. that got torched. I'm just like there weren't. That's kind of something that jumped out to me. But you looked at it a little closer than me. Well, yeah, and so upon like and like I said, like I dove into this like I do a normal game film. So I watched this boring crap forever on Sunday night, and the second offensive line got their ass whooped the entire day. And make no mistake, LSU does not have backup tackles beyond Cam Wire, but. Why I came out feel positive, I thought the first offensive line actually did really good. I mean, Dare, for all the talk of BJ, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I thought, first off, I thought Sony Fanua actually had the best day with the ones in terms of rushing Ooh. off the edge. And I thought Dare really shut down BJ good. the vast majority of the day. And, and and now Ed Ingram actually kind of struggled way more than I would have thought. He had he had an up and down day. Chasing yeah, I remember the, the one best. where Neil Farrell just like ran him yes. over. Yes. I mean Neil yeah. Farrell walked Ed Ingram into the quarterback side. That's a horrible feeling. I've been there. He he got bad footwork, got him off balance and that was I mean Neil Farrell's a big strong ass dude, right? Uh, so, Which is why, by the way, I, the only reason I'll just jump in real quick. I'm glad you mentioned that, like, Dare kind of won some battles with BJ because everyone's like, because BJ had three sacks, right? But everyone's like, BJ had three sacks, but like a few of them, and this is not a criticism of BJ Ojolari, I think his stock should be through the roof, but, but a few of them were like Neil Farrell or Joseph Evans, like dominating, and then like the quarterback had to run out, and then they can't really sack Yeah, him okay. I guess that's why, that, that's why there's a disconnect between what my brain saw and everybody talking about Ojolari. Ojolari did. Fine, but I don't remember him winning like like you said. Maybe I would agree. Yeah. Cleaning up on those rollouts, but he didn't like like Sony Fanua put like a couple like a spin move on Deculus. I was like, oh damn! And then there was like a switch. Like I don't know. I I thought Dare did great. Actually, I was very I pleased with him at left tackle. Uh, really, the whole first offensive line did pretty damn good though. But why I'm so bullish is that Anthony Bradford 
pro. Ooh, I want to hear this. He yeah. looked good. I get it now. Like, I, I, I get why they're so high on this cat, why Coach O could come on and say he might be the best offensive line we have in terms of potential. Uh, because, yes, he is very big, but he carries that weight in the exact correct weight. He's got that, like, E-Honda type of weight distribution where he's very low to the ground. He, uh, he, he It almost looks like he's, like, rooted into the earth. He is not top-heavy. Like, Cardell Thomas, maybe battling similar weight issues. While Cardell... Uh, we had an up and down day. I do think he's getting closer. Like I saw improvement out of him, but Cardell is a little top heavy and, and, and he plays that way at times. Um, Bradford, bro, that dude is hard to move. And when he had, to, and when he had to move, he actually looked pretty quick. Now it was by no means a perfect day. Um, but what so I can see this real quick. Yeah. Who is, cause I, I haven't done like a deep dive on the O-line part yet. I'll, I'll concede that. Who is Bradford mainly like going up against on a, on an average down. Well, he ended up taking uh he ended up taking on the one reps in the second yes. half because Chasing Hines went down. Um but even then, you know, so he, but, but even when he's going against a two, he's he's still going against like Guillory and That's uh, and Roy okay. and like those type of guys. Um but he but 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 he looked good. Like he looked to me like he will challenge Jason Hines for the starting right guard job. And so that's where right. offensive line ends up being my biggest positive coming out of this is that I feel like okay, it's not as dire as I thought. It's still not great, but you got your starting five. You love yeah, Cam Wire as your yeah. single, as your swing guy, and now you have Anthony Bradford. And I would say such seven guys you have right there. I would almost say seven point five because I feel like Charles Turner, well, not like dominant. Or I didn't see like the full potential of a Bradford. I don't think that Charles Turner is going to be like a disaster if he has to go mm-hmm. the, in there at center. And can I also throw Garrett Dellinger in there? I thought, uh, I think- in terms of potential, yes. I don't know when he'll okay. touch the field, but he he will he be good. Like yes, okay. he looks like he will be very good one day. Uh, okay. I, I think what would hold me back on Bradford, because I asked O about him, and he seemed pleased with the play, but he said what we're really proud of is that he didn't have MAs. What that makes me think is that that's maybe what's holding him back, and that does worry me, though, because spring game is easy to get it right mentally. It's harder when you have the full playbook. Great point. Yeah, I think there's a lot of validity to that. But no, I think first off, thank you for that breakdown because I really did want to hear your thoughts on that. And, and it's also worth me saying, I think I started with the O line, and I hate like again, it's a spring game. I don't think any of this is like holy crap, LSU is great. But I didn't have many major issues throughout this. I don't know about you, I really didn't because I, I started going through the roster in my head when you asked that, and I was, I think I left that game really high on the secondary, especially considering two really good guys weren't playing. Um, linebacker, I don't think we even had the chance to learn much, but at the same time, I thought Damone Clark and Jared Small it looked really good, and Josh White looked pretty it good It looked really me. good in pass coverage. Um, I still thought Damone was a little passive in mm-hmm. run-stopping. In, in run I would agree. Um, so hopefully they get that fixed. They love Small, dude. I know. Coach O I, came out of that talking about how Small's going to play this fall. And and he's a guy who I remember hearing like you know spring ball that Blake Baker like was very consciously giving him like he I think he was literally the first guy who went through every rep this spring or at least or him or Damone and it was like a very conscious thing because he was just a guy who like did everything the right way knew what he was doing and like they needed that for the younger guys and at first I'm just like oh that's a cool little gesture and then you see him yeah and it's like oh that's real and he I still think it's probably going to be you know Bug Strong and and Clark or or maybe even Mike Jones but you're right I I think and Oh has said this what twice now. 
I think Small's going to see the field. Sorry, continue. Yeah, I but it's that that was that was surprising me because one of my big concerns out of it was linebacker. I mean, I hope Bug Strong is that guy. Even though, to be fair, um, they were very good in in pass coverage. Probably. So, I, like you said, D-backs looked great. Uh, I definitely loved something not in terms of, like, actual, like, play. I did love the vibes of the defense. You saw mm-hmm. guys, like, dancing before the snap. It looked like guys were engaged. Like, I don't read, want to read too much into it. I know that we just continue to crap on uh, the Pulini era. But, like, the bottom line to. is yeah. when you see the difference, it just shows you what dire straits you were really in last year in terms of how little he could connect or motivate these players at all. Like, I mean, it just, it's, it's so obvious. We did, we, did we see Durante Jones defense? No, but did I, is it still 1000% worth noting that? Yeah, it was, it was a drastic difference in that back seven or the, you know, even just the, the back four or back five, I should say, and how they just knew what they were doing at all times. And you didn't see those blatant errors. And even that's, that's without Eli Ricks, Todd Harris playing and some other guys. And they just looked in command and like confident and no longer playing tentatively. That alone, like just that simple fact is a huge piece of praise for Durante Jones. Cause what have you and I kind of said all four months, last four months is like, Durante Jones does not need to come in here and like be Dave Aranda reinventing the wheel in some brilliant mind. Yeah. You just need to get LSU back to knowing what the hell it's doing. And that talent is still so good. I'm not saying it's going to be an elite defense, but it will by default be a pretty good one. So that that simple step to me of just like everyone looking good and like they knew what they were doing and winning battles with pretty good receivers, that's big. And like I also can't Dwight, I mean, well, I, I think I assume you want to talk about Dwight McLaughlin. He blew me away. Am I wrong? Like he, yeah, he looked great, and you know, he's got an incredible uh, body if he right? can play that well because he's like six two and just looks like like Kevin Durant out there. He looks so long. Yeah, and oh, sorry, I just got a message. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, 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 it was one of those things where Ogeron kind of mentioned him a few times, and yeah, you know, it was one of those things like, oh, maybe they can at least trust him, right? Like, oh, like he can at least go in. And I didn't know much about him. I'll be the first to admit that. And then he came out there, and like you said, I don't think I, I've seen him play before. But I don't think I ever saw how big his body was, how long he was, how explosive he was. He was flat out matching up with Kayshawn Booty, who was going to be an all-SEC receiver, and winning one-on-ones. And I do think there's like that small piece of context worth noting that I do think it matters that like everyone kind of knew they were passing at all times. So it did like remove a certain layer. But but still, he was winning one-on-ones. And he laid out one or two guys like he just looked like a real player so do i i still think the starting three is probably stingley ricks and and flock but mcglutherin's gonna play he gives yeah. you an option they like going four corners sometimes historically i just thought that was really pleasing but either way my overall point was that growth in the secondary genuinely mattered to me a lot of people would be very um they would be ecstatic to have Dwight McLaughlin as a starting cornerback, yeah. given that body and everything, what we saw the other day. So, like, if that's your third CB, and we asked Stingley Sr. whether or not he think I was like, well, does he become Nickelback 1? But it, it, basically, Stingley confirmed what we already knew. His body isn't really suited to being that Nickelback, yeah. so he will be on the outside. Uh, I guess I'm just interested to see what his role is. You got depth, though. If Eli or Sting That's Jr. Big. gets yeah. caught with something, you should not miss uh, too much of a beat there. Secondary looked good. I thought Jay Ward obviously played well, continued to make plays. It was a big day for him, giving, uh, give, yeah, given that really safety was 
such a focus. Uh, was Rodarius Jones playing safety? All right. I don't think I noticed that, but I'm not the brightest person. I could, I could, I, 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 I could be wrong there. Um, for all the questions of safety, I don't know that we learned a ton. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously, Derek I, I think Davis I learned Jay Ward's legit, and that yes. was good. Yes. And then Derek Davis got beat a couple times, but he's 18 years old. Like, of course, that's going to happen. Tolls uh, looks solid to me. You know, I think he looked like a guy who I don't know where he's at coverage wise yet. I don't think I saw anything that made me for or against. But what he did show to me was like, that's a guy who can get in the box a little bit. Like, he's a big dude. And I think he could at least be a factor there. But yeah, you're right. No Todd Harris, who you would assume is kind of penciled in as one of the guys. And obviously no Sage Ryan. We're not going to, you know, those are two of the top three guys in that room, you would assume. So yeah, I think we didn't learn too much other than even just having one for sure starter in Jay Ward is a leap. Because I think going into March, LSU literally didn't have a for sure starter there. So that's a big win. And then Tolls at least looks like a guy you can put in you know I, I don't think he's there yet but i think he he showed he's showing something and then yeah we'll see what happens we know what harris is in general and then we'll see what sage ryan brings and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit direct TV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So that's what the secondary is. Uh, I think other takeaways for me, as we've alluded to a couple of times, the D-line looks really deep. Uh, yeah. And, and, and again, the thing, without and, Ollie Gay and yes, Andre Anthony. Yes, so it's interior and exterior depth. I mean, you have too deep worth of guys that you truly do consider starters. It's not just lip service there. Like I said, I do think Sony Fanua is a name that people will get used to this year, making plays um, off of the edge. And then, and then it's interesting. I, I, I thought because you have so much depth in the interior and Jaquel and Roy's going with the twos, uh, you see, and granted he has great natural talent to work with, but you see what a, uh, an sec seasons worth of seasoning can do. Uh, because he was so, so clearly better than the second offensive line, right? Like like you could tell who had played an entire SEC season and who had not. Just be sure you were talking about Roy there? Yes, Jaquil and Roy. Okay, I, my, my bad. Yeah, yeah no, so, And that's relevant because 
I had actually heard from one or two people throughout the spring that they wanted a little more out of Roy these last few weeks. So they, you know, Roy is a guy who, I mean, first off, we, you and I are like the biggest stockholders, I think, of, of Roy, period. And, and we were like, this guy's going to be like the year two leap. And by the way, I don't think they're like mad at him or anything. I think he's doing fine. But like, he didn't like take the spring leap they wanted. You yeah, know what I'm talking that's about? Fair. Yeah, because he wasn't in the, st- you know, he's not, he wasn't one of the starters, which I yeah. was a bit surprised of. It seems like Mason Smith in some ways kind of like, took that like hype level you know and so i think it's just again spring game let's not overreact but that was pretty promising to see him yeah manhandle some second team dudes three sacks and they were three legit sacks unlike ojalari's you know and uh yeah so i think roy he put a swim move on thomas that for a lot of people to find thomas's whole day i feel for him because he had a better day than that but damn (laughs) i mean it was one of those moves that you go to bed like with nightmares of if you're an alignment because you're just helpless. You just beat off the snap and that's a wrap. <laughs> Quarterback's dead. And, and the big thing with, I mean, just we keep talking about this D line. It's the same point we keep making over, but it's just the bonkers. And we talked last year about this, but it didn't quite come to fruition because of like opt outs and just like the bad defense and all those things. So we didn't get to enjoy it. But this year's even more so. Just the idea that Jaquil and Roy might be your sixth D tackle sure. is just kind of or fifth, you know, is kind of mind-boggling. You know, the idea that Glenn Logan, a literal four-year starter, might, you know, is probably the second, the second, like the second unit, you know, things yeah. like that. Or, you know, if you'd ask me right now, I'd say it's, if you asked Ed Ogeron, I think it would be Neil Farrell and Joseph Evans are your two starting T-tackles, right? So that means Glenn Logan, Jaqueline Roy, Mason Smith, you know, just like J- Jacoby and Guillory keeps going. Those are backups. It's just wild. And it's not just about the idea of, like depth for injury it's the idea that if you have 60 tackles who are that good it means all is playing really fresh because they're rotating and that means all six are going to be better and that's just invaluable and then and i am glad you brought up sony fanua because he's just a funny one i want to go back and watch his tape in 2020 because he didn't like do anything special in 2020 but it was kind of like that micah baskerville thing of once sony fanua started playing a little more in that second half of the season and i remember the whole storyline was like they weren't setting the edge well in the run stop in the run stop and run game. So that's why they kind of needed Fanua as like a bigger guy. And it wasn't like he did anything, but he added like a certain level of stability in some of those games that I do remember. And that like it actually kind of made that defense flow a little better once he got in there. So it is really interesting to hear, you know, you say that you were so taken away by him. You were so impressed with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so D line solid, uh, obviously passing grades. Um Secondary passing grades. Now let's get to what my biggest problem is. And that is, to me, I, I, I know I said that I think that things felt slow on the air the other day. And I kind of stand by that. But I thought about it a lot. Like, why do I think they felt slow? Offensively, they, I just did not feel a dynamic playmaker. Um, outside of Keishon Butte, obviously, right? And yeah. so that's my big question. Like, who is going to be... Like, nobody else felt really dangerous when they had the ball in their hands and i'm probably reading too much into it but you know this is an offense where the entire uh mission statement the thesis of it is like get the ball to playmakers in space so your playmakers need to be dangerous when they're in space and i don't know that i came away feeling that with anybody but Keishon butte so like there's a massive question mark to me about who's gonna be your your second and third offensive weapon and not just wide receiver is like, but like running back wide receiver tie, whoever, like, who do you think will be weapons two and three? Yeah, no, I think it's a question I hadn't thought of. And then you pointed out and you're absolutely right because 
it, it almost falls in the way we always talk about that running back room where you're like, the talent is fantastic. So sometimes you get in this kind of like mode of just assuming someone's like, oh, well, yeah, they're like four or five stars. Like, yeah, someone's going to stand out. But no, I don't know if anyone's quite done it, right? I mean, John Shea Kirkland did stand out, but there is also, I hate talking like this, there's some layer of like, you always hear his name mentioned, like they've never really let him cook. So like what, what evidence do I have? They're finally going to let him. I mean, even last year, he had the big game where, was it Vandy where he scored two touchdowns and then... Maybe. He kind of became an afterthought. I mean, if we're thinking about who's the second wide receiver right now, I feel like it's probably Jare Jenkins. Yes, there's just a trust level there for sure. And then, I mean, Kirkland definitely had the next Is Kirkland or Moore, right? Yes, I would think so. Well, Moore didn't have like a crazy day. He had four catches. You know, he was a good possession guy. He just feels like a guy who, one, they like a lot. I think he's still getting better. He's dealt with like hamstring injuries in his career and little issues, but – my gut still always kind of feels like he's like the next third guy, but there's just this level of Deion Smith hasn't been able to show what he can do yet. And because he's been banged up and he was able to play. And, you know, I think I remember him catching one pretty nice slant, for example, but, um, but yeah, I don't think we got to see Deion Smith really break out yet. And he's the guy athletically they think can be the big standout of that freshman offensive group. We haven't been able to see any, they have what four top 100 receivers in this class and we haven't been able to see most of them yet so there's always a chance but i'm never ever gonna bet on a freshman you know just like obviously taking a starting role but no it's a it's a really valid concern because you're not getting that guaranteed playmaker from tight end you're just not and running back again we like the town in that room but nobody has proven that that they can be that new x-factor playmaker yet and even most of their skill sets aside from emory i don't know if any of the other guys skill sets are like game like playmaker you know what i mean so yeah i think it's a real concern that i hadn't thought about and you know i, I would agree with emory would be the one that definitely has the potential but it's just all you know i mean when will it uh, come yeah to- yeah yeah like i i think i think we should probably be done sitting here expecting Emory to be that guy. I know he can, and I hope that he is. Um, and, he's, and he would probably have one game a year where he does, you know, I think he's two years into his career and he's had two different games. Like, I think each year he's yeah. had one game where he just goes off and is like, God, this guy is going to be amazing. And then, like, he just doesn't keep it going all year. Well, and and then the 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 other thing is, um, I, I well, look, the bottom line is that uh, – the best five will play. There was a really good article in the Advocate today where Brooks Cubina broke down every snap of the Panthers last year, and Joe Brady and Jake Peets and what they did in Carolina. And this uh, idea of the best five will play—I don't care if it's one personnel with one tight end, no backs, and four receivers. I don't care. Like, still, like I don't care what is the best five will play. It's not just lip service. Uh, I mean, what Brooks found last year. Um, I'm blanking on the receiver's name, but one of the Panthers receivers had like 40 carries for over like 200 yards last season. Um, They would consistently line him up on the backfield just because without Christian McCaffrey, they felt like that was one of their best five to put on the field. So uh, like a lot of people during the spring game, myself included, came away thinking that Coy Moore running back was kind of a bug. It may not be a bug as much as it is a feature. Now, obviously, yeah, they yeah. were really light, and and there are guys that played because of that. But don't be surprised to see Coy Moore or other receivers, you know, start at running back and motion out, maybe motion into running back. I mean, Justin Jefferson did it a lot two years ago, if you remember Jamar correctly. Yeah, Jamar Chase did it. So um, that's why I think that that there is such a heightened pressure on the playmaker because I do firmly believe that you will find the field. You won't be held back 
because it's like you and another because, oh, we have to have a running back on the field. That's that's not the case. And, and as Brooks points out, that's also where you maybe get creative with other things where like um, with the Panthers last year, the Panthers would put Alex Armand, their fullback, who actually signed with the Saints, they put him at wide receiver and it's a short yardage situation and then like motion him in to be that lead blocker. Well, a kid like Jack Besh could do something like that, right? Where he's still athletic mm-hmm. enough to run routes and catch it on the edge, but he's also a pretty big body that you can use in multiple different ways. So it, look, it's all about engineering mismatches and Pete's understands that better than anyone. And so um, there's so many, not just playing that there's so much stats up for grabs. I believe we just got to see who emerges. I don't know yeah, no, way. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, it, I I do catch myself kind of getting in this default zone of just assuming someone's going to break out. And, yeah, I don't know if you are, but I do trust. I feel like I leave the spring and everything I've heard trusting Jake Beats, trusting things you're saying and trusting all, all that. I just, yeah, I think uh, I don't even know where I was going with that, my guy. I'm really sorry. I'm ah, kind of bro, I know. Because I kind of set you up with like a nothing point. So that's on me. No, I, that's I, on I, me. I set you up with I like a closed statement. You're not no. yes ending. <laughs> no, I get it, dude. Uh, but but we'll also, I mean, look, we are talking extremely in-depth about a spring game that has arguable merit. So it goes back to what I said at the beginning. These are not final takes. We are like... We're, we're just planning these things. You're still trying to figure out like how much sunlight they need. Do we need a water? Like how often do we need a water? Am I overwatering them? So none of these takes are set in stone just yet. Um, I will say this. One take that I will stand by no matter what is that LSU has the weirdest linebacker numbers that I've ever seen in my entire Ooh, life. Ooh, interesting. Josh White is number 10. Antoine Sampa is number 34. That's Phillip a weird one. That would, one feels very strange. Uh, it doesn't fit his body. Can we talk about that? Dude, Philip Webb is 39. What is 39? Who's ever Ooh. played with the number 39? That wasn't his only option. He chose that. He went out of his I way mean, to be like, I'm 39. At least 39 it can divide by three, which I think makes it a bit better. But you got what does that mean, Bob? What does well, that mean? Well, I'm just saying he's not a prime number, right? I mean, That's like, valid. I feel like numbers are a bit better Can't if they're not prime. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Hunter yeah. Faust is 37. Another linebacker, Demone yeah, Clark's yeah. Demone Clark's eighteen, Buck Strong's twenty two, Jared Small and Aaron Benfield are the only players in the linebacker room with numbers in the fifties. Think about it. That's which crazy. is weird because fifties is like no longer a linebacker number. That's like a weird thing. It just I guess maybe anymore. yeah, maybe I'm being a bit old school there. That, that, no, that no, no, no. You're, no, your point. No, all these numbers are still really weird. Like Josh White with ten is like almost the most normal feeling. But yeah, no, you're still everything you're saying is right, even though fifties aren't really the move anymore. Like if you wear a fifties number, you just look unathletic. It's just like the whole thing. But H one Samp is my favorite because. And maybe this is just no, maybe it's just like no jersey's going to look great on him because he has such like a cool but weird body where he's like really tall and big and long. But like 34 just doesn't look, he needs to be wearing single digit. And I know you probably have to be like a certain level of like proven how good you are to get a single digit. So That's I understand true. how that works, but it just like doesn't work and it's confusing to look at. Like even Bug Strong numbers 22 in the 30s feels are just about gross. Right. Numbers in 30s. And look, I know 34 has a storied history. We actually did this on air the other day, and then we figured out, we thought about, we're like, well, okay, you know, actually like Walter Payton, Ricky Williams. Oh, it's a great all-time number. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of good 34s, but it just doesn't work at linebacker to me. It doesn't. And, it and, doesn't work defense probably, period? Yes, I would agree with that. I definitely agree with that. I will say Sampa had a beautiful pick. It, it, it's interesting because yeah. it doesn't really feel like he's in the conversation to play, but... He showed off some soft hands, and he had no gloves on. 
which is like Ooh. super gritty. So not only is this dude, but also adds to the not looking that natural. Yes, you know, I think yes. that does add to it. So he's wearing 34 and he's playing football without gloves, which is a naked feeling to me. I I, I cannot imagine. It's like when you watch gloves. a baseball player still hit without gloves and you're just like, what the hell? You don't, you don't believe <laughs> like you assume he's going to just like ground out to the third baseman. It just doesn't look right. Um, wow. And you're really like freaking me out now because I'm realizing they're very, there's a weird amount of not single digit numbers this year on the defense. It's Rick's. And Harris, and then Mason Smith is zero. Yeah, that's it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, that's, that's weird. Gone are Patrick Queen and Jacob Phillips. Because uh, yeah, linebacker at LSU officially, I'm just like on the t- time. It needs to be single digit. Yeah, I guess so. I never really because even Ali Highsmith and everything back in the day with seven. So yeah, I guess you're right. I, I like Josh White in ten. Actually, I'm cool with ten. I think I like twenty two, but that's just because I played with the twenty two and Ryan Baker. But like Bug Strong in twenty two, I I do think that makes a lot of sense. It, again, I've, I'm a huge believer that number mat, like goes coincides with body type. Twenty two with him is like a thick, stout body looks dope. Twenty two if you're like a little taller and leaner looks awkward. That's great. So point. I. I I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Well, but yeah, 22 so in and I, of itself is a thick and squat number. Exactly. It Emmett looks Smith. low to the yeah. ground. Yes, yes. Low to the ground is a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah, it's like 17. Like, if you put 17 on, like, a stout dude, you're like, what are we doing? Here? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think 18 is a tall number. That's one of the reasons why it works well on Clark. I mean, that that's a number that plays, like, I you, think need, all you need teams. that on a taller number. Correct yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, that makes sense because there's a one in front. Even all 10, just 10s periods numbers. Like, yeah. Like I, if you're a shorter quarterback, to me, you need to be single digit, which mm-hmm. goes against my entire. If you're tall and long on defense, you need to be single digit. But I really stand by it. Like I don't want to see a 15 who's like Drew Brees build or something. No, you I mean, I, look, nine worked out great for Brees. Six wait, works Drew Brees, out. Wasn't great. Drew Brees 15? Shit in college. Uh, shit. I have no idea, but that's why he switched nine because it looked horrible. <laughs> <laughs> we were in his ear. Yeah. Uh, Baker Mayfield rocks six wonderfully yep. well. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, okay. Look, I don't know if I have any other springs. Th- I don't know if I have any other spring thoughts now that, especially no, now that we've gotten to the real. To end on. Yes. Now that we've gotten to the real things that matter. Uh, by the way, okay. While while we check in, a little bonus content here. Um, what do you think about the Bengals' new uniforms? I feel like the scene in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where I'm like, you know, you're like, uh, I, I don't know if somebody told them to do less with their old uniforms, but I'm like, you got to do something. Like those uniforms just look <laughs> do so less, do less. I okay, mean, yeah, <laughs> like no, okay, maybe a little more than that. I mean, they're just like. Can I say they're there's just like four there. different Sarah Marshall jokes you could have made involving shirts. There's the take my eyes but not my shirt. I think it's improvement. <laughs> there's the I wish I wasn't wearing this shirt. You know, there's so many ways you could have gone with that. But that's funny. I am I'm somebody who actually defended the old jerseys for a long time. I yeah. generally like them, but I'm. I think these are perfect. Okay. Okay. Here's, I have a whole thought on this too. There's this weird thing where like certain jerseys get shown like in like a display setting and they just don't look that cool because they're not like, they're not like the Seahawks unis where it's like a big statement, but they look really cool on a field because there, there's like a certain simplicity and athleticness that just like looks better in a, in on a field while playing. I think the Rams jerseys are actually an incredible example where those got ripped on when they came out. Uh, to and- be fair, I liked and I liked them from day one. On my show, I was out on an island. They were all, all hating right. on me, but this is a great point by you. When they you saw them close. When you saw them in game, they looked really good. 
they look they make you look more athletic. Yeah. And I think, but they look kind of really boring and stupid up close. And by the way, even to go galaxy brain here, Chargers uniforms, I think we all agree are like the new ones are some of the coolest jerseys in sports. That's what we've always wanted them Justin to do. Justin Herbert looks so yeah. damn good but in the all navy. They're the ultimate up close one. There's a I'm, I'm still I still like them. Don't take it the wrong way. There's a little bit of those actually make you look like less athletic when you're oh. watching on TV. Like they don't look as good on a distance to me, mm. but they're the ultimate up close jersey. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. But anyway, I'm a fan of these new Bengals jerseys. I think they're the perfect level of simplicity, but still giving you that tiger feel that you need. The stripes are just subtle enough, but good. The weird like three tone of the old jerseys are like what almost four tone. Like that was just bad. <laughs> so I I really do approve. I'm actually a big. Uh, fan. You know what I really liked about it was Joe Burrow putting that scar up front and center because that Thank thing you. is gnarly, dude. That thing looks like old school <laughs> ACL surgery, but really, you know, they just had to fix a lot in there. So I mean, I guess they had to. Get <laughs> in there but like i know i do like not, how yeah the size of the scar is making us be like it's like if he was like no i'm tough make it bigger yeah i mean i'm like damn dude was it was this like a 1980s acl surgery but like uh but 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 a very clear and conscious decision by burrow oh, and the bingles so to put that thing up front and not be scared and not cover it up with socks or tights and and be like and, and it's very indicative of Burrow's attitude, you know how he kind of meets everything head on, but just being like, yeah, what of it? This, so, okay. I'm, I'm I, coming back, baby. I know you probably want to wrap up, but I do. Uh, yeah, I had a friend like reach out and be like, man, like such a weird PR failure by the Bengals to put that as the front. Like, what? why would you want to remind people of like this bad thing? And I'm like, who's forgetting about that? If you're a Bengals fan, which again, I, like that's the reason we're discussing this. I am raised the Bengals fan, and. That is all. That is every piece of day-to-day Bengals content is addressing the fact that like we don't like House Burrow's rehab yeah. going. He is the face of the franchise and has a substantial knee injury. That is the only thing on any Bengals fan's mind. Like that in the draft pick. So in what world do you think it's not already there? You're not reminding anyone of anything, and it's actually way weirder and cowardly to be like, "Well, let's hide this." No, yes, it's the coolest move. The first real public appearance Joe Burrow has made with the Bengals since his surgery to like sit on a freaking throne and be like, look, this is not bothering me. That is, I couldn't disagree with a take more in my entire life. No, if there was any PR misstep, it was sticking Joe Mixon on the throne in the group shot. But uh, that's a conversation. I, for- I saw that and I have like a really big gut feeling that that was Burrow being like, why do I have to be on the throne the whole time? Does someone else want to take this? Uh, okay, okay. That would make sense. Because <laughs> you know Joe pretty sense. well. I, don't, yes. I think he's probably so uncomfortable like being like, I'm on a throne. Like, screw this. Um, but yeah, so uh, obviously I, I wish nothing but the best for my Captain America, Joey B there and hopes that he can get back his knee uh oh damn it i thought i had one more Bengals take for you but we're gonna talk chase and sewell oh yes actually i was gonna get your thoughts on this real quick so i think ryan clark said it best in first day i think he summed up my feelings if it's chase and sewell you may have to go sewell if it's chasing anybody else it's chase i don't care about any other alignment i think sewell would be the lone alignment that you would pick over jamar chase yeah, I first off, I've just heard a bunch like the last few days that it is Chase. Like I think it's just it's Chase. okay, uh, but that's not the point. It is still a great discussion. Unfortunately, I'm at the point where I just keep the more and more I read, the more like people have really dove into the film and all this stuff. There are a lot of NFL people who've like done you know because like Bruce had an amazing one today. There's always like those anonymous NFL people evaluation stuff. There's just a lot of people who just think 
Sewell might have been like put on a pedestal too early, and then oh. you re- like, and it's like he's clearly like a top twelve dude, but maybe he's not like a the like one, two, or three prospect we thought he was. So it's like from what I've gathered, it seems like the Bengals think Chase is like the third or second best player in this entire draft. Yes. Think, like while well, Sewell's like really solid, but like maybe seven or something. Oh well, good so if, then. If, if that's okay, if that's what yeah, if that's how you view, you one hundred percent go Chase then. Yeah, so that's what makes it such a hard thing to debate because it's like a di- they're two different discussions. If you think they're dead even prospects, dead even, yeah, my heart tells me I want Sewell so bad. I think that's such an important position, yada yada. Especially because receiver, you just tend to get all the time. But yeah, I think I think they like Chase more. And then also Duke Tobin has very consistently been saying publicly he's the Bengals pre- like president of football or whatever, and he's been saying they actually believe O line is deeper this year than receiver. And, receivers and too, Sean but. Payton actually said that same thing as Zerk yesterday. Yeah, uh, so talking about the depth of O line. I didn't see that. That is good to know. Yeah. So I think there's just a lot of people who believe that Bengals are going to go chase five and then feel pretty confident you get another good O lineman at you know 37 or whatever. I love it. I love it. Get the boys back together. All right, there's a little bonus Bengal Tiger talk. Get it? Because it's still about the Tigers. Uh, Nailed it. Here on. I almost said off the bench. You're on the Hold That Podcast Ooh. podcast. Uh, brought to you by The Athletic. The off Athletic. The podcast. Time. Yes. Go sign up uh, for The Athletic. Uh, there's always great sign-up deals. Theathletic.com slash Hold That Podcast. Um, it's so worth it, y'all. It's like no ads. Very talented writers. Whatever team you care about. Whatever sport you care about. Go read about the destruction of the European Pooper League. Uh, it's They got a lot of great content up there on The Athletic right now. And, uh, yeah, if you like the show, rate it, review it, share it, all that, so we can continue to do it. And, uh, Brody, anything else on the way out? No, I think we, we this was a home run. Nailed it. Hell yes, dude. Y'all have a great day, and we'll see you on the next Hold That Podcast podcast. <laughs>